Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're back, and we're t- uh, Brad Peterson is in studio with me. We've been talking waterfall hunting. We're going to change things up for a minute. We're going to go talk to uh, Will Dykstra from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to talk some fishing and other hunting, but we're going to get back to the waterfall right after that. So if you were getting into that, stay tuned. But right now, uh, good morning, Will. Morning, Terry. Good morning, Brad. How are we doing today, guys? Good morning. We're, doing well. We're doing okay. We're doing all right. We heard Nate had to make an emergency trip back in, but is he going to get this sheep or not? You know, I'd say that uh, this is the uh, classic horseshoes and hand grenades situation room, and he's been close so many times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that's that's part of hunting, and that's that's why we do it. And, you know, it's as a fishing guide, one of my least favorite phrases on the boat is, well, that's why they call it fishing and not catching. And, you know, sometimes with hunting, it can be the same thing, whether you're chasing waterfowl or whether you're you're chasing a, a once-in-a-lifetime type of sheep tag. Well, and, you know, we wish them the best, and a hunt should – obviously, we always all want to harvest an animal, but we don't, and I don't care what level of hunter you are. And the thrill of being out there and enjoying the outdoors still should be number one, but we wish them the best. And I'll tell you what, it certainly not any make, makes him any lesser of a hunter, but he's out there giving his all. I know that. Oh, yeah, there's no question, Terry. When you're talking about a fair chase hunt like this on public land, you know, all bets are off. And, and uh, you know, all of us as hunters and fishermen, if you make it about the harvest or make it about the catch, a lot of times um, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, you're absolutely right. So what else is going on? I know you wanted to talk, I think, a little big game hunting and maybe some pike. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so first let's talk real quick. You know, it is the uh, the archery opener, you know, for both mule deer and elk this weekend today. And uh, already getting some reports of some animals that have been harvested. And, you know, for those of you that, that might not be able to make it out on the weekend or those of you that are doing the the routine that we've kind of preached over the years of, of you know, hunting the first couple hours in the morning and, and maybe getting back and resting up and hunting the evening um, and able to tune in right now. But, the uh, you know, the key this time of year, whether you're mule deer hunting or whether you're elk hunting, I mean, now elk hunting, you know, is different from the muley side of things with a bow in the sense that, you know, these animals are getting close to the rut and they're, uh, you know, you can call them in a lot of times. But this time of year, especially the first couple weekends of the season, um, I try to keep that call in my pocket as much as possible, uh, especially when we're talking about elk hunting. Uh, you know, mostly concentrating on, on areas where the animals are going to be, uh, you know, crossing from their bed uh, to their feeding grounds, as well as, uh, you know, more importantly than anything, especially on a dry year like the year we've had up until the last couple of weeks, um, you know, concentrating on those water holes and not necessarily tromping all over the woods uh you know, potentially bumping these animals out of their beds. So, you know, as a hunter, uh, you know, we all want to be out in the woods, We, you know, especially if you only have the weekends to hunt and you want to make the most of it. Um, sometimes more is less this time of year, especially the first couple weekends of the season, spending a little bit less time, um, you know, necessarily pushing through the woods and more time sitting is definitely going to be your uh, your best bet when you're talking about trying to harvest an elk, whether it's a cow or a bull. 
uh, with the bow. Well, you know, and you're absolutely right, because one of the things that goes on in the early archery season is the animals don't get as disturbed as in an early rifle season where they'll hear the shots and they're conditioned a little bit to know things are changing. Archery season forces you to get in that animal's comfort zone, but at the same time, you don't alert the animals and put them on, uh, you know, you don't get them spooky very early in the season. You know, that, that's a great point. You know, these animals, it's almost like when our lakes just open to, to boating or open to fishing. Uh, you know, these, these animals have had less pressure than they've had all year, especially if you've done your scouting the right way with trail cams and uh, using your binoculars and spotting scopes as much as possible and staying out of the you know, where they live, out of their living room, is a key. And when we're talking about early season, yeah, I mean, that's a benefit of it is you do have the ability to get in there, and if you happen to to booger a couple of them out or spook them out, uh, you know, a lot of times you can give them, you know, sometimes it's only half a day before they settle back down and get comfortable because they haven't had that pressure and they haven't had kind of that um, something that's not as natural to them occurring, uh, you know, in their in their living room or in their kitchen. No, you're absolutely right. Let's switch gears a little bit here because we've been talking a lot of hunting this show, and we get a lot of anglers listen because they're getting ready to plan a day in the next few days. I know Brad was out on Boyd and got some walleyes and white bass. What are you seeing out there? You know, right now, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, the summertime is one of my favorite times for targeting big predators. Last week we talked about chasing trout, you know, power fishing for trout with soft plastics, uh, specifically tube jigs. And, uh, you know, as we start gearing up for the fall, as, the, as we're starting to really get some of our first true cool nights of the, of, the, of the late summer here, getting into fall, and this is my favorite time of year to bust out the big baits. And, uh, Brad, you being, you know, a Minnesota boy, and Terry, you too, you know, Big, giant soft plastics for muskies and pike, you know, specifically pike in Colorado, is uh, is definitely a go-to presentation for catching these big fish as these water temps start cooling down. Oh, yeah, and it's a fun way to fish, and when you're throwing those big baits, the anticipation of that big strike, that that's half the fun of it for me. Well, you, you know, it's half the fun of it, but, too, you know, we talk about it, it the progression of fishermen, is, you know, first you want to catch fish, then you want to catch specific fish, then you want to catch um, big fish, and then you want to catch big fish a certain way. And and a lot of times, uh, you know, especially when we're talking about, um, we're basically weeding out catching smaller fish when we're talking about throwing big swim baits. Does that mean you're not going to catch, you know, a small pike here and there? Even, you know, sometimes you catch a lot of big trout on these these swim baits, and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, a trout that's about the same size of your swim bait will... We'll take a crack at it. You know, this past week I caught some pike uh, on a 10-inch swim bait that were, you know, under 30 inches. But for the most part, your percentage of size of fish is going to go way up when you're talking about throwing a big bait. And that's one of the things that we love as anglers to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice the amount of catches I catch today because I'm chasing that one or two bite or those one or two bites that could be a true fish of a lifetime. Do we know how long? Now, you're chasing these at spinning 11-mile course. There's there's Williams Fork. There's um, different reservoirs throughout the state that have incredible Navajo and just a number of great reservoirs in Colorado with pike fishing that rivals anywhere in the country. But spinny specifically, how late into the fall will they stay open? You know, so spinny typically spinny will will close. Spinny and eleven mile both close to boats. Um, the last day of October. So you know, it, but the cool thing about it is it's they're just closing the boats. They're not shutting those lakes down for good. And there's actually, 
you know, there's a lot of listeners on the show that don't own a boat, Terry, and there's there's some great opportunities of catching giant pike, you know, into as soon as you start getting ice on the edges of the lake from the shore. And that's something, again, like you said, you know, we have a really awesome opportunity. We don't have to travel seven, eight, nine hundred, up to a thousand miles to go catch big pike, you know, because we got them right here in our backyard. And we're talking about fish that, you know, in the fall when they're really uh, putting the putting the chew on, these fish are going to be pushing, you know, some of these fish will be pushing 30 pounds. And that is a absolute pike of a lifetime. Oh, it's a giant. It's fantastic. So, you know, and, and it's, you know, the bites going on right now, um, are they are they shallow? Are they deep? Where are you seeing them right now? You know, right now, so, so we'll talk kind of spinning specifically, but, but I'd say generally it's going to be similar for all of these pike lakes. Is as the water temps start creeping down in the mid-60s into the low 60s and into the high 50s that we're going to have here probably within the next three weeks, uh, we're seeing a lot of fish shallow right now at Spinio. Right now, there is a ton of perch shallow, and I'm talking like two and a half to three inch perch um, at Spinny right now. You know, you launch at the at the north boat ramp, and it's almost you, you take a step on the dock, and it's like seeing it's like being a lake full of shad. You take one step, and the whole water just erupts along the shoreline. And I'll tell you what, I just, just I was waiting for uh, my afternoon group to show up the other day, and I just cruised the weed line outside the boat ramp, and I saw five or six pike that definitely exceeded uh, 40 inches that you know are just, you know, they don't necessarily have to be eating the big perch right now because it's an easy meal swimming through with their mouth open. They can uh, pretty much fill up right away. But the other thing to think about is the fact that those pike are also feeding on the fish that are feeding on the smaller perch. And in this case, it's Spinny specifically. Uh, you're talking about some of the browns that are in there, and, and even some of the rainbows we've been catching have been spitting up these small perch. So, you know, just like every other, uh, you know, life cycle or, or feeding cycle at a lake, the, the big fish are going to follow the smaller fish in, in, you know, kind of the way that prey cycle works. All right, but let's move on real quick because we're going to have to get back to waterfall here. I hear the... Brad's getting ready to do a goose call. So, but um, what what else are you hearing fishing wise? You know, right now uh, we're starting to get more and more reports of the fish on the on the front range. Uh, the walleyes especially starting to pick up. Uh, I know of a handful of fish in the ten pound range that have been caught in the last couple of days, and it's all about low light conditions uh, right now. And you know, basically fishing where the bait is. You know, we've had we've talked about it. There is a major shad hatch that's happened at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. So fishing around that bait, you're eventually going to run into a fish, and we're talking about low-light conditions, you're going to run into that big fish. You know, last night a good friend of mine caught a walleye that was a 30-inch walleye on a, on a size 5 flicker shad, but he was fishing around the bait in the top three feet of the water column. Wait a minute. You have a friend? <laughs> so, you know, so there's great opportunities going on right now. Again, the crappie fishing out at, at uh, Quincy Reservoir is absolutely on fire, not uncommon right now. If you can find the brush piles that have 70, 80 to 100 fish days with crappies, and everybody loves catching crappies, so that's an awesome bite that's happening right now, too. Yeah, and Brad mentioned, Brad, you said, Boyd, you're seeing the white bass come on and the walleyes. Yeah. yeah. Now, a little bit different, the the white the walleyes up there seem to be a little bit deeper on structure, um, whereas the white bass are definitely up chasing the shad right now. And, and you're starting to see the boil start, get that warm... Um, afternoon and the clear wind you know flat calm conditions and you can 
you can actually chase those white bass around pretty good. And, you know, Will, you guys are going to see, we all, all three of us know that the fishing is just going to get better for the next couple months. Absolutely. You know, as fishermen, we always say this is our favorite time of year to fish, whatever time of year it is, because that's what we have. But there's no question that if we had to all pick a time of year to target big fish and to have the best fishing of the year, it's always, almost always going to be fall. Well, and a, a few things happen in the fall. You know, the fish get really aggressive as far as feeding, getting ready for winter. The bait fish are fully hatched, settled down. They've been culled down a little bit. Um, and you get less pressure because a lot of people, you know, the Broncos are starting. A lot of people aren't fishing on a weekend now. You're getting, uh, you're going to, a lot of avid, avid, really good anglers are avid hunters. They've put the rods away. They're out in the field. They're doing archery. They're getting ready for rifle season. They're, they're getting ready for doves and, and teal. And so you've got all these seasons going on, and the, the lakes aren't as crowded. Absolutely, and it's and it's you know we had the lake to ourselves the other day on a Thursday afternoon at Spinney, which is really rare, you know, to only have maybe one or two other boats out there. Ever is kind of rare, and uh, I mean it was good conditions too. It wasn't one of those days that it was ripping with the wind, and yeah, I mean that's another factor is the fact that less competition for us anglers out there too um, makes it a great time of year to be on the water. Well, if somebody wants to book a trip, how do they get a hold of you? You know, so check us out at, uh, on Facebook, Tightline Outdoors. You can also find us at tightlineoutdoors.com. And uh, we've also got a YouTube channel. We definitely suggest checking that out as we've got a bunch of you know, kind of tips and tricks videos on there as well. All right, my friend. Uh, good luck on the rest of your fishing on those big pike. We'll talk to you again very soon. All righty. Thanks, guys. Will Dykstra from Tightland Outdoors. You're listening. By the way, we're going to get back to waterfall now for those of you, but we had to do some fishing updates. A lot of people looking for places to go, and there is some great fishing. But we're going to come back. We're going to talk some shooting, and then we're going to talk some calling on waterfall right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sandy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. MySpecialMortgage.com on the web, 303-790-2222. The phone number, SCL Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 120. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Uh, Brad Peterson is in studio with me. We're talking waterfall hunting. And Brad, I understand you have a special guest joining us. Yeah, actually, we are lucky to have a two-time Olympic medalist trap shooter coming on who I first met out goose hunting. So she is a very avid waterfowl honey, hunter, uh, Corey Cogdell-Unrein. Welcome, Corey. Hi, guys. How's it going today? It's going well. And, Corey, we're we're trying to get people excited about waterfall hunting and getting them out there. And Brad tells me you can give them some tips on shooting. Coming up after this, Colorado Clays will be on, and they're going to talk about their facility. But 
Brad says that you could even make me a good enough shot that I could hit a duck. <laughs> well, I could sure try. I think there's definitely several things that, you know, are common mistakes um, for, you know, the avid hunter to the beginner hunter. And, um, you know, we can definitely cover some of those. And I think I could probably give you a couple tips to help you out. <laughs> he may be one of your most challenging students ever. I'm just going to give you a heads up Hey, now. I've done quite a bit of shotgun shooting. It just hasn't been recently. <laughs> so, Corey, you were mentioning some of the tips. You know, right now we're just getting into the hunting season. A lot of people, you know, may not have shot much over the summer, and a little bit of rust has built up on their shotgunning skills. So what are a few tips that you can give hunters to help improve their shooting, you know, get get the rust off and improve it for this upcoming season? Yeah, well, we're definitely coming into that time of year. I can't believe that summer is nearing its end. Um, but, you know, we're getting into our first, um, you know, uh, bird hunting season, dove season's coming up. So that's a great way to get some practical practice in um, for your waterfowl hunting. So, Corey, you know, besides... Corey, yeah. this is Terry. I wrote an article. For, I write a column for the Denver Post, and two weeks ago my column was that dove hunting is a conspiracy by the ammunition people to sell shells. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you there, but that doesn't mean that you can't still use it as some good practice for your waterfowl season coming up for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's one of the things I do out dove hunting. Um, it still doesn't get me that crossing shot figured out. So that's the reason I make sure to have you come out a couple times a year. And when those 40 yard crossing ducks are coming by, my simple answer is, Corey, that's your shot. Take them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, those definitely can take a lot of practice. Um, you know, Brad will tell you that, uh, even I sometimes have, uh, trouble with those real long crossing shots being a trap shooter myself. Most of my targets are going away that I'm shooting at on a day-to-day basis. Um, so even I really like to go out to the range, you know, before season starts and practice some of those long crossing shots. And a skeet field is a perfect, uh, place for you to get out and practice all those different angles of crossing shots. Um, you can walk, you know, closer up on the station uh, to simulate those really close-in shots, and then you can walk way back off of those shooting stations and get some really nice long crossing shots. You can move along that semicircle of a skeet uh, field and get all your different angles um, and really, you know, kind of knock some of that rust off you were talking about. Yeah, that's that's great. I don't I know I don't probably don't shoot enough skeet. I I shoot some trap and then I'll shoot some sporting clays and then then I go out to the doves and get frustrated uh after the third <laughs> box of shells I realize I didn't spend enough time at the range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's always a good idea to start, you know, in a controlled environment because we all know when you're out in the field and those ducks and geese are coming in and you know they're quacking, the adrenaline starts pumping and then, you know, everything you've learned goes out the window. Um, yes. you know, as you're getting excited there. So having those good fundamentals and, you know, stuff that you have built in that muscle memory out at the range before you hit the field is really important. Corey, this is Terry. As a champion shotgun shooter and an avid bird hunter, um, what about, you know, some, somebody starting out waterfall hunting? Brad and I talked about this early. What do you recommend for a, a shotgun for somebody? Uh, what would be the very best choice and what would be maybe the minimum choice? 
Well, I always recommend um, for a beginner a good semi-auto. I mean, my first semi-auto was a Beretta 391. Um, you know, they're great great guns. Um, Benelli makes some great, uh, you know, semi-autos as well. Um, you know, if you're trying to be cost effective, you know, you can find some really good pump shotguns for between five and $700. Um, you know, your semi-autos are going to run anywhere from 900 to about $1,500. Um, and you know, the nice thing about those semi-autos is with the gas, uh, systems that they operate on, they really help reduce that recoil which can be, you know, kind of a, um, you know, distressing factor for a new uh, shooter, newbie, beginner hunter. Um, you know, you're shooting those big heavy shells um, and it can wear out your shoulder fast. So I love the semi-autos for that. Yeah. And especially when you come to waterfowl hunting, when you're shooting those heavier loads uh, for the geese, having a semi-auto or wearing a whole lot of extra clothes like you do in the, the cold winter months uh, helps helps your shoulder survive a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of good brands out there. They all kind of um, have a little bit different fit to them. So I definitely recommend people going to a good gun shop um, where, you know, they have a variety of guns and they can, you know, try and um, mount those different guns. Make sure that you bring your hunting jacket with you um, because that's going to play a big factor into how that gun mounts up for you in the field. Well, and I would say that that's one of the biggest problems I see when people haven't shot, and, and you may see the same thing, is is properly mounting the gun and making sure your cheek is getting down. When people haven't shot for a while, oftentimes that seems cool, to man. be their biggest, uh, one of their biggest mistakes and and hindrances to their success is, is you're not used to mounting that, and then you have more clothing on than you are if you've been out trap shooting over the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, Brad, you know, making sure that, you know, you have proper gun fit is my number one um, thing that I tell beginners, you know, to experienced shooter is making sure that your gun fit hasn't changed over the years. You know, we all can, you know, put on some weight, drop some weight, hopefully. Um, but, you know, that gun fit can change over the years as your body changes. So making sure that that gun still fits you year to year is really important because if your eye is not lining up down that rib with that um, front bead, you know, you're not going to be shooting where you're looking. You can be making good shots and the gun's just not shooting where you're looking. Um, and, you know, you're going to miss birds because of it. I have a question for both you. And Admittedly, I've shot some ducks and geese in my life, but it's never been a concentrated effort of mine. So I've gone with some friends, done some things over the years, haven't done it for a while. Most of my shotgun shooting, all kidding aside, was upland game, you know, grouse up Minnesota, pheasants, some quail, uh, and a few doves. And I did some clay shooting, and my favorite shotgun is an over-under. Now, when I'm waterfall hunting, that would limit me to two shots and also changes my choke configurations. Am I foolish to think that if I have an over-under, I could use it for waterfall hunting? 
No, I, I definitely think that over and unders are great guns. Um, you know, the only thing you really have to be careful about bringing a over under waterfall hunting is, you know, if it's got wood on it um, and it gets wet, it just needs a little bit more upkeep after the hunt is over. So that's really my only warning about um, over under shotguns. But I actually took my competition shotgun goose hunting this year um, because it was the only gun that I had, um, you know, with me at that time. So, you know, there are. All of those over-unders are, you know, most likely going to hold at least a three-inch shell. Um, you just want to make sure that whatever over-under sh- you're shooting is um, the barrels are, are made to shoot that, um, that steel shot through that, um, where, you know, all of your semi-autos, all of your um, pump shotguns, they're going to have those reinforced barrels to be able to handle um, those loads. So that would be my only warning there is just to double-check and make sure your barrels um, you know, are up to par for those steel loads. Yeah, and I agree with you. The only other advice I'd recommend, I know a lot of people that shoot over and unders. If you're goose hunting in Colorado down in pits, it's really sandy and dirty in there, and you need to make sure you keep that action clean so that it still functions and you're able to get it closed tight and, and your gun is going to work. So try to avoid getting, you know, a bunch of sand and and dirt in that action to keep it going. All right, last question, Corey, before we let you go. Ducks or geese, which one's your favorite? Absolutely ducks, hands down. <laughs> and and uh, with that, when you know, you talked about the crossing shot. What about that incoming shot? There really is no clay substitute for that. Do you find a station at the sporting clays? Yeah, I definitely love to hit up the sporting clays before I go hunt. Um, There's tons of different presentations. And what a lot of people don't think about when they're on the sporting clays um, field is if there's not a lot of people around, you can ask the club managers if you're, you can walk around and, you know, walk outside of that station. So you can change that shot and find the shots that you really need to, you know, work on by just changing your physical location in relation to the throwers. You don't always have to stand in those, um, you know, those training stations like they have on the sporting clays range. Corey, I appreciate you calling in today and taking a break from your training. Uh, (laughs) One quick question that I think a lot of people might be interested in. So you're training to be on the U.S. You're a member of the U.S. National Shooting Team. You're an Olympic medalist. How many rounds do you shoot a year to shoot at that level? I think this is something that's really going to interest people. So I shoot between probably forty and 60,000 rounds a year. And uh, fortunately, we do have a sponsor uh, for that. We're sponsored by Federal Ammunition. So um, luckily, I'm not having to pay all for all those shells. Um, but, yeah, definitely a lot of shells downrange every year. All right, Corey, we've got to go. We're going to wrap it up. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Have you, a good day. And you're going to, by the way, folks, Colorado Clays is on the line. We're going to talk some more shotgunning after this break on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to go right to the phones and talk some more shotgunning as we're joined by one of our favorite people, JR from Colorado Clays. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Terry. I knew you were listening to part of that. Probably, probably heard how much fun Brad and I were having. I'm forgetting to run the show, but other than that, we're doing good. 
Yeah, Brad's doing a great job this morning. Yeah, I like thank, it. thank you. You're just, yeah. I appreciate it, my yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I, you probably heard Corey, of course, some great, great advice. And, and we want to talk about the opportunities at Colorado Clays. We've been talking a lot of waterfall hunting. And, um, and she talked about some of the practice you need, but all hunting, you know, dove season starts a week from today, I believe. You've got upland game not that far behind, and the, you've got teal season, and then we've got the duck and goose seasons. So um, coming out to Colorado Clays, Corey said the one shot, and then Brad had said this too, was that long crossing shot. So you got something set up, you can practice that long crossing shot out there? Yeah, Terry, we try and do uh, a big variety of presentations on our course. We try and have uh, left crossers and right crossers because everybody has that particular shot that gives them, you know, their problem. And one good thing about coming to Colorado Clays, like you, she was saying, would be not only can you identify which shots will give you a problem, but uh, it'll give you the opportunity to identify why you have a problem with that. You know, it could be could you be your stance relative to your target. It could be uh, certain shots you stop the gun when you pull the trigger. There's a lot of things that you know, and that's part of uh, a big part of uh, getting better is not just practicing, but understanding why you miss. And that's one thing we do here is uh, help these folks really get on track. Well, you probably have instructors and people to consult and help them. All I need to know for why I miss is I take Karen with, and she points it out immediately. But, but no, but seriously, um, yeah, if somebody wants to come out and they want a lesson or something, you know, I don't care how advanced the shooter you are. We kid different times about our shooting abilities, and all of us practice different times of things. Brad alluded to earlier that I do a lot of handgun shooting. He does a lot more shotgunning than I even think about, and we all have a mix with some rifles and things but even no matter how advanced or how novice you are i found myself handgun shooting the other day and uh i realized i wasn't putting my thumbs in the right position i was just carelessly gripping the gun because i wasn't thinking about it and that's why you need to practice and you'll have people that will go with them and help point that out right well and that's what's really nice about colorado clays terry is that uh our entire staff are experienced, many of them certified instructors, and we do this all day, every day. So if you want one-on-one -on -one in individual instruction, we have that available with one of our staff, uh, you know, on a uh, reservation-type basis. But coming out to Colorado Clays, any insights we have, um, we, we try and give to our customers to help them move in the right direction and get better and really enjoy what they're doing uh, because, like I say, when you progress and get better, that's that's really what makes this so fun. I have a quick question for you because we, we don't want people showing up with the wrong idea. Do you have restrictions on the shot they can shoot out there so we understand when they're coming out? Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, most ranges you're going to find do have. So let's start on the shotgun side. Um, you're always going to need to use a 7.5, 8, or 9-shot target load. And we like you to use lead here because we actually reclaim that, and it is a, a much safer load. So make sure it's a target load and those shot sizes. And then I know you mentioned that kind of alluded to the big game part. Um, you know, we do have our fantastic rifle range there, and uh, we only allow, you know, lead and copper in the bullet composition, no steel core, steel 
steel jacket or steel case ammo, and that keeps that very safe as well. And your hunting loads are all going to be, uh, you know, meet that requirement. Well, speaking of hunting loads and big game, we'll switch things up quickly. Um, people better be shooting their big game rifles, sighting in and getting comfortable right now. I, I know in the past you've done some clinics on that. What have you got going on in that respect? Well, and you know, Terry, I'm glad you brought that up because we do have some uh, big game sighting clinics coming up that, uh, you know, folks can give us a call and they will be one-on-one or with a small group um, with one of our very qualified uh, range officers for that. And uh, the dates are going to be on the website or give us a call and you can see which one works best for you. And I got to say, you know, we have probably one of the nicest state-of-the-art rifle ranges there is. Um, Our 100-yard range is got cameras on the target, monitors in the base, so everything is in real time without spotting equipment. And, you know, if a person does, you know, need to get a 50-yard target to get on before he moves out, we have that available. And uh, one thing you will get with our clinic, you know, we'll have, we'll be looking to make sure your gun's clean and functional. Um, this is another one that I don't know, and this crosses over to the big game and really the waterfowl is, you know, everybody cleans and lubes their gun, but the proper lubes, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I've seen rifle and shotguns with uh, improper lubrication for low temperatures, and I've literally seen semi-automatic shotguns look like they're in slow motion trying to get the second shot in. And if you have the improper lube for cold conditions, you might have a single shot for the whole day after all your preparations. So, you know, good PTFE-based um, lubes are good for not changing viscosity on you. But anyway, in our, our sight-in clinic, uh, I think everybody knows, you know, accuracy is the most important factor for that. So you'll get to maybe even try some different loads, find which one's the most accurate for your gun. Uh, we can go over maybe some breathing techniques to keep your steady uh, very, very important and, and amazing how much proper breathing can change uh, your steadiness in your shooting. And, of course, you know, we can shoot from prone positions or bench rested. Uh, we have that availability so you can really kind of get accustomed to your eye relief and, you know, feel good about quickly acquiring your target and uh, getting, getting the right shot at the right time quickly. Well, you know, uh, one of the other things, too, muzzleloader season is right on us. And a couple things we want to point out. First of all, you don't have to be a member to shoot our Colorado Clays. It's a public. You're open to the public. And then the second thing is that you're one of the few that allows muzzleloaders. Yeah, Terry, and that's true. And we are open year-round to the public. Um, that's for shotgun, rifle, and pistol. And um there's definitely what makes Colorado Clays nice as far as the muzzle loaders is our range is kind of a semi outdoor. So the indoor stuff, the muzzle loaders kind of make a big uh, smoky mess. But in our range, we have a natural light and airflow. And uh, so it's really not uh, annoying to be shooting next to a muzzle loader. Uh, very pleasant. And like, say, with that 50 yard target, uh, we can get pretty much any gun on track and people ready for season. We're out of time, my friend. Tell them how they find you. ColoradoClays.com, or give me a call here at the range, 303-659-7117. Thank you. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you, Terry. You bet. And that's JR from Colorado Clays. Great place to go practice. We're going to talk more waterfall here after this break as Tim Grounds, champion caller and call manufacturer, joins us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. 
Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're talking waterfall. Brad Peterson is in studio with me. And Brad, you have another special guest for us. Yes, we are lucky enough again to have one of the true legends of the outdoors. And actually, he's a member of the Legends of the Outdoors Hall of Fame. A good friend of mine and a maker of my favorite duck call, the sweet meat duck call, Tim Grounds is on the line with us. Morning, Tim. Morning. How y'all doing? We're doing good. The only good. question I have is, are you re- do you really like Brad that much? I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, I know Brad a long, long time. Yeah, I have Way too. He's, uh, he always been giving me a hard time because of my lack of expertise in waterfall hunting. Yeah, we've we've been talking, and, and off the air, Terry was mentioning that waterfowl is one thing that he's never called. And, Tim, we're basically trying to do a show where we're talking a lot to the beginners. So if someone was looking to get into duck and goose calling, what are some tips you would give them, and maybe what call model or what features in a call would you suggest they look for both in a duck and a goose call? Well, in a, in a, in a duck call, a double-reeded call is usually easier to operate as far as it's more forgiving. Um, and there's a lot of different double-read calls out there. Um, and in a single-read call, your your barrels are different lengths. I like a short barrel, what they call a short barrel. Um, the one I make is a de-overhauler. That's the one I one hangs on my lanyard every day. Um, um, and and it's, it's, it's not as forgiving, but it's, it's, um, it's got, it's got only one reed. So the vibration of the reed, you're not, you're not, you're not vibrating the reeds together to get the sound, especially if you use a lot of what I call voice inflection, where you're going, coming from your diaphragm, like you're trying to clear your throat. Okay. So, I, I mean, keep it simple. Don't overthink when you're trying to find a duck call, and don't jump around like your, you know, like your pants are on fire. <laughs> duck call honestly is made to, to to use operate with one hand, and I see people trying to use them with two hands. I mean, a duck call is really made to use with one hand. Um, uh, yeah, one of the other mistakes I see a lot of people trying with duck calling, at least for me, is I have a very tough time making a duck call sound proper wearing gloves. You know, I I prefer blowing a duck call with my bare hand, even when it's cold out, keep your hand in the pocket. And when you start blowing the call, use that. The sound just seems a lot more oh, it, pure. It, it sounds, it sounds, it does sound more pure. And I don't suggest anybody using gloves blowing any kind of call. You know, yeah. you know Tim, I mentioned to Brad earlier, this is Terry again, and I've done a lot of hunting in my time and not waterfall is one where I haven't done a lot, but in the calling type huntings I've done, uh, the two things that, I mentioned to Brad that seem to in, in, inhibit people from calling. One is they get intimidated. They think they have to make a perfect sound. And, and the other one is once they get where they think they've got a good, good sound, they call too much. You hit the second one, really hit the hit nail on the head. <laughs> Most people, I'm going to say 95% of them, if you're sitting out there where them geese all got up, yeah, you can call all you want and you're going to get some. We all don't have that opportunity to set right exactly where they where they slept the night before, fed the night before, or you scouted them and seen them coming in there. Calling too much is one of my pet peeves because you got to remember you're hunting them, but they're hunting you. They're hunting that sound, and you got to give it to them real and make it real. It doesn't make no difference 
you know how how much you you can do all the crazy stuff. It's how real you can sound on the call, and knowing when not to blow the call because they're just waiting sometimes. And if you you know curiosity killed the cat, birds of a feather flock together. All right. So if you're not making no noise and they're seeing these decoys down there, and you got a nice a nice setup, and you're and you're hid. Hey, sometimes it's it's fly, you know, let, they, they're flying around. They want to do it, want to do it, and then all of a sudden you just give them one little, <clears throat> or just a cluck, 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 moan, and boom, they're in your face. But it's it's that that's a that, that's a very good point, and, and that was one of my my notes I had in my head that I was going to talk to a lot of these young young millennials. I call them. I got one. He's thirty one, <laughs> but they just that they, they you know it's it's not about hunting as much as it is killing. And there's a lot of these kids can blow a call and sound unbelievable. But when they get out there truly hunting, they're not sure. They're, they they know they can blow a call. But if, if it's not a place that's easy, uh, they better they better back off because they're not going to, they're not, it's not going to be as easy as what they think it's going to be. You know, they think just because they can call, boy, they impress their buddies and all. That's not always the question. The question is, uh, can you impress the birds and know when and what to do where? And the only way you can do that, you can listen to old timers, or you can go out there and, and put as many many hours in the field as you can. And, and there's no better teachers than the birds. Yeah, and that that's exactly right. And you know, I saw that firsthand. You know, Terry was talking about being intimidated, and I said, "Well, I was I was in a pit one time with yourself." Kelly Powers, John Vack, and I think we might have even had Sean Stahl in that same pit. Well, there's three world champions in there and a fantastic in, in a, another guy who's won numerous calling contests, and not a single one of them was blowing like you would on a a contest routine. They right. all were reading the birds, and that is one thing that once you know how to operate the call, probably the most important thing is learning how to read the birds and. And the only way to do that is by spending time out in the woods. Yeah, you got to have one guy. You got to have one guy in the pit. The one guy, the one you got to have one person in the pit that everybody follows, though. Yep. Because you see so many of these guys that get on top of each other, team calling and, and pit calling is fun. But you know it doesn't have to be difficult because everybody just picks out a cluck, and then you got the leader. He'll do the moaning. Because there's usually one goose in there when they're coming in, but there's not, they're not doing that. Yeah. You want to create the realism as real as you can create it. Yeah, and that's... And a cluck and a moan is is as deadly a sound as you can use. Right, and, and Tim, we mentioned what to look for in a duck call. You're known for your goose calling. I mean, that's right. that's where you got it started. If someone was going to pick out a goose call to start what would you recommend and then also as far as education learning how to call do you have things that you recommend you know whether it's computer programs or dvds or that for people to use so so what calls would you recommend or here's here's what i would recommend as far as i would recommend so many people they'll buy eight or ten calls from 1995 to 6995 so many people's trying to get in this market today by keeping something down and not making a lot. Just jumping in. This is not the market I'd be getting in. Because like I said, this is pushing 43 years for me, and I'm tired. But I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate and been very blessed uh, 
to make a mark that's that records that can't be will never be broken. My kids set records that'll never be broken. And and the thing about it, it's that some of these guys on the stage, they blow the same call, they blow hunting, but they're just tuned a little bit different. But what I would suggest is I would suggest buy a good call, okay, and 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 don't worry about buying ten of them because a lot of guys make that mistake. You know, save your money and buy a good call. Um, I mean, the, the one that the, the hot ones we got going on right now. I mean, the Super Mag's always always a solid one, but the the, the two hot calls we got going right now is the G Overhaul and the G Force, and I think you can. I, I know Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's, you know, the the, the acquisition at, at August 1st, Cabela's is owned 100% by Johnny Morris. And we've, we're, we've dealt with their good people to work with. And then you've got you've got Shields out there in Johnstown, Colorado. Johnstown, yep. Johnstown, uh, then they're, 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 just, they're the best people to, to work with in the industry. I've never seen anybody work with you like that. And I know they carry... Uh, our product. I don't know what that store has right now to where a guy could go in and, and, and operate some. And it looks like next year, um, uh, it looks like we may be back in Sportsman. We was yeah. in Sportsman when Stu Upgart owned it, and then, and then it sold. And, and the, the, the uh, I think the Brooklyn Dodgers brothers bought about 20 of them and they kept it going. But Stu had a great opportunity there, the way he set them things up, where every store you walked in, it was easy to find. But yeah. getting getting, I get off the track a little bit. But I wanted to let people know there's if there's a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop out there, you should be able to find a call, some calls where you can actually blow them. Now, when when you call here, and I give you a suggestion, there ain't nobody here messing with these things but me and him. And I would send, I wouldn't send a call out of here to a customer if I wouldn't put it on my neck. Yeah, right. Tim, we are really running out of time. We'd love to get you back on and talk more about this as we get closer to the waterfall sure. season. So sure. you got a website real quick? I'll give you a website. It's www.timgrounds.com. The email is tim at timgrounds.com. And the phone number here at the shop is 618-983-5649. Thank you for joining us. We will get you back on real soon. All right. Thank you. All right, Brad, we're up against the hard break. We'd love to have kept them on longer, but next time we'll give them a longer segment. But yeah, that... and, and Tim has great information for people because he has hunted Colorado before, so if you're asking questions about what he recommends out here, he has that knowledge base. Well, hopefully you guys get out and do some waterfall hunting. We'll have get back to more normal programming next week, but join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Yes, you